welcome to Out in the Wilds, a podcast by two married to each other ladies where we break down all things queer and unqueer in each episode of The Wilds. My name is Rachel, and as always, I'm joined by my wife and the love of my life, Allie. Hi, everyone. Allie, what episode are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about episode five, which covers day seven on the island and is Fatten's episode waiting for a long time for this surprise note to everyone fatten ranks in the top two characters for both rachel and i so we have been very pumped to to get to her episode so we like to start off every episode with a bit of a spoiler content and swearing warning we will swear in this episode that's why it has that little e explicit rating in it we also usually like to warn people the wilds is a show that deals with a lot of tricky content and a lot of um, things that can potentially be triggering. So just make sure that you know that going in. This episode, we don't have any specific content warnings, but there are overall just some some pieces that, I don't know, could upset people. It's a blanket warning. It's a blanket warning. It's a blanket. Viewer discretion is advised. And then finally, as with all of our previous episodes, for all of you that may be listening and watching at the same time, we'll try to keep all of our discussion really centered on Fatten's episode and then the episodes that came before. But there is always a chance that we may hint and hopefully not spoil things that are to come. So this episode opens up in a different way, and we've gradually seen that over the course of the series, where Leah's and Rachel's episode open up a little bit similarly, and then Dot with the dancing and Tony with the talkies, and now we've gone a totally different way, which is we're actually starting in Fatten's pre-island life, and we're weaving it in with a, a scene with some scenes of Gretchen. And so Gretchen is doing her morning routine as she's getting ready, and the whole time you're seeing Fatten at a concert performance playing some Bach, and we're really starting to see that she's such an incredible cellist. And I think this is important for a couple of different reasons. Number one, you'll kind of see woven throughout this episode, there's a lot of kind of Easter egg lines and things that have double meanings. And so it's important that Fatten is the one that we see really montaged with Gretchen because I think there there's something in there's there's parallels and there's comparisons and there's connections in a lot of the lines that we see in Fatten's backstory. Totally. And we can see that Gretchen isn't doing so well and there's a couple of allusions to that. So the first is that she seems distracted as she's like brushing her teeth and doing that sort of stuff. The second is that she's like scratching and itching at her neck a fair bit. The third thing is she goes to a float spa, which like could be, you know, a really nice, relaxing thing to do. Not for me, because I get water in my ears and it really messes me up, but for some people. However, then she very clearly says this isn't relaxation and she starts screaming. Gretchen's screaming ends at the same time as Fatten's performance ends. And it makes you think a little bit about how similar they are in sort of their drive. Both of them are very strategic and they're very involved in sort of strategic intricacies and thinking things through almost like generals, right? Like they think things through very long term. And it's just interesting that you're seeing kind of both of them losing themselves. So Gretchen trying to lose herself in the float spa, but then Fatten losing herself in her music. And so those kind of parallels that are drawn between them and also this sort of trapped sensation that has between them. So, you know, Gretchen very physically trapped inside of this float spa. And then Fatten is, seems almost trapped by 
her commitment to the music. Like she doesn't look happy when she's doing it. And so in this way, they're weirdly both trapped by both their ambition and their genius. I think that's accurate, Allie. And something that really struck me is when Fatten is done performing, you see it's a huge concert and she takes a bow, but she looks so different. Like she almost doesn't look like herself. And part of it is that like, you know, she's dressed for like a concert as opposed to in like a bantery type of t-shirt. But the other piece is that like, she just doesn't look like herself. Like she doesn't look like kind of settled and comfortable. Or happy. She or look happy. happy at all. And like her eyes are kind of shifty. Like they're scanning the crowd for something. And you could just tell that like, She's not the her who we've come to know over the past week on the island, Mm -hmm. which is neat because we're going to see this as we move on throughout the course of the series where, you know, with Leah and Rachel, it was day one, day two. And so we were learning about them as the girls were learning about them. But as we move forward in the island journey, you know, it's interesting approaching Fatten's character on day seven because we know who Fatten is and we're able to kind of say, oh, hey, wait, like, wait a minute, stop. Like, there's something that's not quite driving here. So the next time that we see Fatten in this sort of pre-island situation, we see her coming home and she comes into the kitchen and she expresses to her parents that she wants to quit cello. She's kind of like talking and she's sharing about, you know, the impact that it's having on her body, on her social life. And at the same time, her parents are having this discussion and they're not really listening to her. They're kind of having their own separate conversation about real estate. And finally, they give her attention and kind of play this off as, oh, this is just Fatten being Fatten, and give you the impression that this this argument over whether she's going to continue doing cello is a frequent one. We also hear in here sort of like a second mention of Juilliard and about how like that's where Fatten is working towards going, which if you'll remember, we heard in episode one. Fatten's kind of advocating to both of her parents that, You know, she needs to be more well-rounded. She needs to have more opportunities to do other things. And that she, you know, she doesn't want to be the shut-in who's just playing the cello all the time. And we sort of see that first instance of her, her dad and her's relationship. And he helps advocate for a later curfew for her. And so they shift her curfew on Saturday a little bit. And there's just this really nice connection between the two of them. And you can see how they sort of function within that family unit as a little bit of a team. And it also really shows that disconnect that exists between Fatten and her mom. And I think there's something interesting in Fatten's backstory because... We really only see her interact with her family unit. We see her interact with some of the people she's hooking up with a little bit as well, or the people that she's seeing, but we don't really see her with a close friend. We don't really see her with a close confidant, not in the way that, you know, Leah had Ian or Rachel had her coach or Dot had Mateo or Tony has Martha. And so there's something in there about just her isolation as well. And I think that really like, add sort of that credence to what she's saying about wanting a social life but we do see her have a social life and she's still not building those relationships and it makes a nice contrast to the island where you know she says i don't get tight with girls and some of those pieces but we actually see her start to build relationships in a way that it appears she hasn't done in her real life yeah i mean to some extent i think all the girls are kind of lone wolves you know like because even I'm surprised that Fatten and Rachel haven't hit it off a little bit more and they haven't not hit it off but they're not as close as you'd think because to be high performing or high achieving at anything sports music especially at a young age is isolating it is you know Nora really talked about it in Rachel's episode when she was talking about reading but even just thinking about like close female friendships or close friendships from the character's backstory like yeah Leah has Ian but even still like there's a, there's a line in there where she talks about, like, 
how otherwise she is kind of like alone, like how she's kind of normcore and that sort of stuff. And like Ian is kind of her only friend. And similarly with Tony, like, yeah, she has her basketball team and maybe there's relationships we didn't see there, but it does also seem like Martha's really her person too. And so I think in, in a lot of respects, all of these women do fly on their own and maybe that's what makes them excellent experimenters because they all have that, that kind of internal drive to some extent. Well, it's almost like collating strength with independence mm. in a, in a way. Right. And I, th- I think you're right. Like they are all for the most part, fairly independent They're They deal with things on their own. I like the lone wolf analogy. Cause I think that that's true as well. And I think it may have something to do with their resilience when faced with, with issues. Like they have to sort of have everything in their toolkits to be able to tackle problems on their own. Right. There's one other thing that I just kind of want to pull out of this scene, which is something that Fatten's mom says to her. And what she says is, look powerful, feel powerful. I think Fatten embodies this in a lot. A lot of the ways that she chooses her clothes, she chooses sort of her sassy, witty, like sayings on her clothes. And also just the way she carries herself through all of her interactions. I mean, Fatten is just like queen-like, just like badass all the time, right? And I think, you know, thinking through, you know, act the way you want people to interpret you is is very important to her. And she really embodies that in a lot of ways. Totally. And I loved seeing in Fan's backstory, you see her wear more of the clothes that the women are wearing on the island. And I just think that's really neat. It was it was a cool, cool call in because it's almost easy to forget in some moments that they're all wearing Fatten's clothes. Um, but I think it was the, it's the red t-shirt that we later see Rachel wearing that Fatten's wearing it for a huge chunk of this. And it's just a, uh, it's just a great call in. I also think it's so funny because can you imagine if it had been anyone else's suitcase? Like people would have just been dressed super practically. Like it had to be Fatten's suitcase full of, you know, furry coats that she's taking to Hawaii. Um, well, she was leaving after, but never. it has to be full of like furry coats and like weird jumpers and like very strange clothes. So it, it, it's better that it's Fatten's suitcase. Like no one else would have brought me so much joy with their clothing being shared. In a weird way, like Fatten's clothes are like tremendously not practical, but there's also like a pretty good variety of like long sleeve, short sleeve. Jackets. She's jackets, so many jackets. zip ups, pants. So like the variety is really good. And it's also nice too, because like Fatten also has the accessories. Like something I noticed is that Fatten's nails are painted at her, in the end and her nails are short. So I'm like, of course they are because like they probably had nail clippers and like that stuff also just helps keep you a little bit grounded if you're able to like tend to your nails. Which also is a huge makeup box that they used when they were like painting faces and stuff too. So yeah. yeah. Useful. Most useful suitcase. I know we, we often I know, say... I we, know. We really did I, rag we, on we it. We flip-flop on it. We're like, oh, this suitcase is super unuseful. But it's useful for certain things. So, you know, Fatten's suitcase of wonders. We're still out on you a little bit, but you do bring us a lot of joy. I think I, you know, I think I'm going to be Tony for Halloween, but like being Fatten's suitcase would also be pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Just like open up, like wear like a pink overcoat, kind of trench coat, and then open it up and just have like witty t-shirts and watches. And so moving on, we see Fatten go through a little bit of a montage of her playing her cello both by herself and ensemble. We see her at parties. We see her doing both of them very intensely, like everything she has. She is partying hard and she's also practicing hard. Work hard, play hard. Yeah. And something we've also talked about Fatten a lot is there's a lot of sex positivity with her character. It's something very, I think it's very important to me. Um, And so we also see kind of like interspersed with this, you know, scenes of her having sex. So we have, you know, partying, sex, 
and cello playing. I just like that it's like very deliberate in the way that it frames consent. Something you often see in scenes of teens partying or having sex is elements of dubious consent or Mm -hmm. like you see alcohol or like you see drugs and like you very clearly see that that's not part of Fatten. Like she enjoys sex, period. There's also like often in shows that center around teenagers, a little bit of this narrative of, you know, they went and had sex and then it ruined their life. You know, that they weren't, they weren't then able to focus on their passion or everything went off the rails. And that's not what you see with, with Fatten. You know, having sex doesn't ruin her life. Like having sex doesn't make her a worse cello player. Having sex doesn't mean that she can't be dedicated to all of those things. It's a piece of what she needs to do overall to be well is to have that sort of space to let loose in a way too. And so kind of the way that the montage ends is we see her break a string on the cello and at the same time finish hooking up with a guy. And she realizes that she's late getting home for curfew. So we see her come home. You know, her dad is sitting on the couch, tells her she's over an hour and a half late. She tries to kind of like play it off, you know, saying, I was practicing the cello. It's that that's where I was. I wasn't like out partying, but she's very clearly dressed for partying and her dad kind of calls her on it. They sort of have like a little bit of a moment. They they talk a little bit about her mom pushing her and why her mom pushes her. You know, her dad shares that his parents pushed him like that, too. And we have another another one of those spaces where they really talk about their relationship and their similarities together namely that you know he says your mom she can just push and push and push and that's how she succeeds but you and I have to have that balance between you know fun and pushing we have to have like both sides of the coin for him he shares that his outlet is watch auctions and so they they kind of are watching a Rolex auction together and and he says that and we'll find out he has another outlet later, but he says that that's sort of his outlet. But it's just a very nice moment of between the two of them where they're connected in that way. There's lots kind of buried in this scene. You know, like I shared earlier, Fatten says, you know, she's going to push me until I break. And I think for me, it brings up a couple of questions. Number one, does Fatten love cello? If Fatten didn't have her mom, would she still do this? And I don't know if we ever really get a clear answer she's definitely ambitious she wants things I think she pushes herself just as much as her mom pushes her but there is that sort of underlying question of is this something that she actually wants to do with her life or is her genius just what is pushing her in that way and it's a nice contrast to Rachel who also pushes who also has that sort of that sort of drive who is less well-rounded than Fatten. You know, Fatten has sort of like multiple outlets that she puts things in. Rachel's all in for swimming. And when she loses that, she doesn't really know or navigate or what to do. But we have both of these characters who do things and who are pushing for these things. I would argue Rachel loves to swim. She loves the water. I don't know if Fatten loves the cello. She might, but I think the pressure that she's facing from her mom makes it into more of a chore and more of a thing she has to do than a thing that she loves to do. It's a great comparison between those two characters because we see Rachel really take on the opportunities to get in the water. But like Fatten has not said anything in her time on the island, at least that we've seen about like, oh, I miss my stringed instrument or like we're not, we don't see her be musical in other ways, right? Like musicians oftentimes, like it's not just they want music all the time, right? It's not just like their instrument, like they're always tapping their feet or or their toes or whatnot. And like, I don't even know if she joined in the pink song. 
I haven't even heard her sing a cappella. I don't even know if she joined that. I think they all joined <laughs> I it. I think they all joined yeah. it, yeah. But, like, we don't see her express kind of passion. Like, if you just looked at her on the island and you didn't even know that she was a cellist, you'd just be like, oh, she, like, dresses sweet and, like, has a really great sense of humor. I think Fatten is a tricky one because for a lot of the girls, we can really understand what drives them. You know, Leah is being driven by love, the truth, the desire for something more. Rachel's being driven by that need to be seen, to be successful. But Fatten is one who, even after getting her backstory, I'm not sure if I 100% know what drives her. Loyalty is really big to her and, and, you know, protecting the people that she loves is really big to her. And so maybe that is it. But I think there was just a little bit more question marks that existed for me at the end of her episode than I've necessarily seen in other in other backstories. So I, I kind of mentioned earlier on that, you know, there's a lot of double meaning lines in Fatten's dialogue. And so there's one that comes out in the scene. So when she, as I mentioned, when she comes home, she tries to play it off like she was rehearsing instead of out partying. And the line that she kind of uses to her dad is, that studio was like a bunker. It totally warps your sense of time. So there's a lot of comparisons with this to sort of like where the girls are in this post-island world, this bunker sort of situation. And so for me, that was something that really jumped out. You know, if you think about a studio, no windows, no lights, that's the bunker. No windows, no light. The comparison is definitely made and it's definitely accurate. And I don't think it's there unintentionally. No, I don't think so either. And we kind of have already been a bit skeptical about time at this point. You know, we've seen sort of interviews that are cut to make it look like they're one day, but maybe could be multiple days. You know, we have the detective saying like, oh, we just got you here. We're calling your parents. But then like, I mean, no, no parents have appeared as of yet. Right. And so there's there's this really big play on time with the detectives and, you know, whether the girls are being accurately told time. There's, you know, the piece with Rachel's hand that's fully healed. And you're like, how long were they on the island? I think the idea that, you know, Fatten saying that like her bunker where she's practicing can warp your sense of time is such a good call in to the fact that the bunker that they're in can also warp their sense of time and that the portrayal of time that we as an audience are receiving may not be accurate. So this episode takes place the day after Tony's episode. And so Tony is still nowhere to be seen as well as Fatten is nowhere to be seen. And so we open up in the morning with Shelby expressing concern about where they are. And Martha right away is like, Tony's not my business anymore. To which Shelby's response is, well, we also are missing Fatten. And Leah's like, she stole two cans of our water supply. She does not deserve a place in our thoughts and prayers. And so Shelby is like, well, we don't know. And all the girls like pipe up in their own unique ways. They're like, ah, dude, it was definitely her. Like she definitely is the one that stole the water supply. Yeah, everyone's positive there. There was no wishy-washy. No one who's like, oh yeah, maybe it couldn't be her. They're all like, oh no, yeah, Fat and Toast did that. No one seems like as upset as Leah does, but. Yeah, it's cute that Shelby's like, it could have been someone else. Yeah, good job, Shelby. And so this starts a series of loving homages to Fatten, initiated by Nora. And so basically a bunch of the girls kind of rotate through Fatten's accessories and clothing items and make a number of statements about her personality. It ends with Leah expressing that Fatten has insane HPV, which I think we could all agree was probably a bit too far. Yeah. And the girls immediately call it as being too far. It's it's a bit sex shamey, right? Is really what it's getting to, and no one finds it funny. It's also funny too because they really break down Fatten into a stereotype, into a two D character, and 
you know, we spend sort of the rest of this episode, like amping her back up to being 3D, understanding those multitudes that she has, you know, even Dot's comment later about the calluses and things. But it's just funny that this is their sort of impression of Fatten at this point. This is their understanding of Fatten is, you know, she's kind of just like this valley girlish sort of stereotype. Um, and it just shows the ways in which they haven't gotten to know her better. I think she's shown them herself better than that. Like, I think she's shown girls at multiple points a lot of empathy. She's shared a lot with them. You know, she's given guidance to Martha. And, like, you know, she was supporting Tony when Tony was upset with Martha. And, like, there's just... I think Fatten has shown herself more to them than they're seeing her in this moment. And in the background, Dot is not doing so hot. You can see her, like, rifling through the suitcase. And we, it comes to a head here because we realize that she's lost the lighter. Right away, Rachel jumps on her and says, how are we supposed to do anything? And Dot kind of cuts her off right away and says, you know what? Like, I'm doing a pretty good job at making myself feel like shit. And she really takes mm-hmm. responsibility on it. And actually, it actually works out well because Rachel's like, well, like, she weirdly kind of accepts it and she's like, well, well, like, we'll just keep it going. Give it some wood. You know, it's all good. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of growth there from Rachel. It's like the second that she saw that Dot also realized she screwed up and was also holding herself accountable. Rachel was like, okay, cool. I also just like when Dot has lost this lighter, I'm like, what do you mean you lost? Like where? Like you're on an entirely flat beach. I'm like, where did you lose this lighter? She's like going through the suitcase. And I'm like... If, even if it was in your pocket and it fell out, where did it go? But, like, she has, like, 26 pockets. She's wearing cargo shorts. Yeah, I guess. She was not checking her 26 pockets very well. That's true. She had, she should check those twice. So, continuing on with this scene, it's kind of funny because Rachel is like, oh, okay, Dot, we'll just keep it going, no problem. And then she's like, hmm, what else? Wait, can I start some shit here? Which, like, Rachel's pretty low drama, so I don't really know if it's super intentional. But she's like, hey, Leah, this book would make some great Tinder. Which, Leah has no chill on the best of days and immediately is like give it back and they get into a bit of a physical altercation and this is where we see Rachel kind of shoot back at Leah as Leah's kind of struggling with her saying oh and you had the audacity to call me a psychopath and while this is happening while the struggle's happening we hear Nora getting upset about the physical altercation and then we also hear and see Tony running and screaming bringing back a blood-soaked piece of clothing and saying this is Fatten's right? So that scene with Tony coming over is sort of that first moment that you get that feeling that something could be wrong with Fatten. And so in this moment, we actually shift over into Gretchen's office slash the compound slash the bunker. And so we see Gretchen watching the beach scene on one of her secret cameras. And Audrey comes in and she brings her some medication. And we're sort of understanding that there's some underlying worry about Fatten in there. And so when she's asking for good news, what Audrey shares with her is that, you know, they brought in the quote unquote cargo and they did it under budget. And Gretchen expresses to Audrey and we we kind of get the sense here at the show that Audrey is one of her very close confidants. She has a lot of faith. She has a lot of respect for Audrey. And she expresses that she wishes that Audrey was there. But Audrey sort of says, you know, we have an on the ground team there. Um, They talk a little bit about camera outages and how that could be impacting their ability to see and find Fatten. And so we're seeing a little bit of some of the structural pieces that are going wrong on the island. So, you know, Audrey's not there as, you know, Gretchen's number one person. We know already that Jeanette died as as someone who was a planted or a confederate. And then now we're hearing about camera outages. And she lashes out at Alex 
who you'll remember, Alex played a very big role in this. He was the flight attendant on the plane. We've seen him multiple times throughout this. And she's sharing that she feels uncomfortable with him being on the team. And we begin to understand that there's a little bit of bad blood between them. And so she's she's saying she feels uncomfortable and goes over and demands to know if he is quote unquote good. Like if he's good with what's happening, if he's on her side and on her team. And, you know, Alex expresses that he wishes that they were sending in support to find Fatten. And so we have that little bit of a sense of there are things that they could be doing, but they're being held back by whatever research standards or research protocols that they're trying to follow. Yeah, I don't know if it's like they're being held back by the research standards. Like, I don't know if they're all of a sudden like, actually, no, our ethics prohibits us from doing this. I don't think it's ethics, but I think like they have a pretty strong policy of non-interference. Like, it seems like they mm-hmm. don't want to go in and solve problems for the girls because they want to see them solve them on their own. They want to see like how they would actually organically interact and react if this was a real life situation. That makes more sense. Does that, does that bring it like, around I a little like, bit? Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> when you do like, when you do re- like regular research, like often your research protocol is synonymous with your ethics protocol, but this probably really isn't the case here because there's probably no ethics protocol. That's true. That's fair. That's fine. This is, this is a secret. Two things confuse me about this scene. One Audrey and Gretchen, you framed it as like, there's like a close relationship here. And my comment on this, and this is what I wrote in my notes is, is there subtext here or is this just wishful thinking? (laughs) I swear Audrey's hand is on her back and she's standing very closely. I mean, it could be subtext. Yeah. My other confusion is they talk about having a solid team on the ground. And I'm like, does that mean Alex and Tom? Or does that a solid mean, team. But like, or does that mean that there's other people on the ground? I think there's other people because we've never seen Tom outside of the lab. He doesn't look like he bunker. does field work. He doesn't look like he does field work. We know that so Alex Tom. has, you know, he got on that boat to take the med bag over. But for me, like on the ground implies that there are other people on the island who are or very close to the island who are there to respond if something really bad happened. Right, because if there was like a medical emergency, they'd want somebody like a bit closer. A bit closer, right? I mean, we don't know how close they are, but like it, it implies that it's, you know, Gretchen asks Alex to like go check the projector, but she doesn't ask him to go check the cameras themselves, right? Yeah. Or yet to, I guess, to fix the cameras, right? We, we're hearing that there's outages. We're hearing that there's problems. And maybe that's what the team is dealing with, is they're trying to reinstate these cameras so that they can be able to constantly surveil the girls, which is creepy on its own. I think, too, I just want to talk a little bit about some of the, the words that are used. So when Audrey says, you know, we brought in the cargo, we can assume at this point that that means Jeanette, um, especially with us not finding her body later in this episode. I think there's a little bit of weirdness here because just the word cargo, it implies they're treating her like an object. And it's it's a weird word choice. And this could be audience hiding because, you know, at this point when we're watching the show, we don't know that Jeanette is, Jeanette's body's been moved. But it, it, it was just, it was a weird dehumanization of Jeanette as a person. Well, similarly to she talks about the girls as participants, Mm -hmm. which is also like a way to kind of distance, whereas you see some of the research staff throughout refer to them not as participants, but oftentimes Gretchen uses the lingo of participants or subjects or that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think you're right that it's Gretchen's really like compartmentalizing or tries to compartmentalize this. But as you can see in the episode, like she is not doing super well, at least internally, but externally might be showing a different face. There's also some like there's some there's a fun theory floating around that uh, Alex is actually Gretchen's son 
And I think there's a little bit of justification for that in this scene because, you know, when she kind of reaches out and attacks him, she's talking about like his widow peak and like how he's wearing his hair wrong. It's not, yeah, it's not something that your boss would really latch on to. So I think there's that like, there's this sense of something interpersonal because, you know, it, it at this point, it's not a question of, oh, well, you would just fire someone who you didn't feel comfortable with on your team because Alex obviously knows a lot about the experiment. And if they are doing this underground real secret, then you can't just fire people because they might turn on you and he clearly has ethical considerations and would be a high risk to turn on her but I think there's there's I don't know there's something else to their relationship that's sort of like woven underneath that we haven't really been able to break into yet you see it also happen when she buttons up his his shirt and kind of straightens him up so it's not just that she's saying just to Audrey oh he shouldn't wear his hair like that but she's also acting on that maternalism no I agree with that I think that's definitely like a subtext in this scene and it's something that I saw in addition to Audrey <laughs> yeah, in addition to Audrey Okay, there's two forms of subtext. <laughs> there's a lot of forms of subtext in this scene, you know? We also, you know, hear her share about Fatten. You know, she's not some wilting flower. She's much steelier than you think. And so it really plays back into that sense of, like, her feeling on some level, like, she knows these girls so much better, these young women so much better than anyone else does. And so we see that throughout this episode as she's kind of, like, talking about what Fatten would do, wouldn't do, whether they should be worried, whether they should not be worried. It's just this very nuanced thing that she does overall that's maternalistic. But I think also there is something there between her and Alex. And there's another scene that happens later in the episode that I think makes sense to group right here when we're thinking about the ways that Gretchen has already analyzed and feels that she knows these girls on a whole other level. So in this scene, we see sort of the research team. They're watching the girls in front of that really big screen and they're discussing their stress responses to things. So Gretchen, you know, shares, you know, Leah spins until she's untethered. Tony angers until she inevitably self-destructs and Fatten when she's cornered or hurt disappears. Then sort of after she shared this, she sends Alex upstairs to check the projector and then confides in the rest of the group that, you know, this is actually out of character for Fatten what's happening. So that's sort of like nuanced understanding of who Fatten is as a person. And she shares, you know, Fatten does not disappear when provoked. She does not run when provoked. And I think it's it's interesting in the way that she's like sharing information with the rest of her research team, but also hiding it. And it also just gave me major like two truths and a lie, like camp game. Like it's like, this is true. Like the thing about Lee and Tony, totally true. But Fatten was a little bit, we don't know Fatten that well, but it's this weird sense of Gretchen knows Fatten better than we know Fatten. So we're heading over to everything associated with looking for Fatten. And it starts out with all the girls leaving the fire and Tony taking them back to the place where she found the fabric. And they all have different theories in terms of how the fabric got there, but they're all quelled right away when Dot says, you know, if it, if she was mauled by something, it would look like a bloodbath. It wouldn't just be like a piece of like torn. And yes, it's very bloody clothing, but it, it's like nicely kind of torn. It's not jagged in any way. And so essentially the choice is made that they really do need to look for Fatten. She hasn't, they haven't seen her in a long time. And so somebody needs to look after the fire. As we know, Dot lost the lighter. And so Dot says that she will look back, but quite quickly, everybody's like, no, no, like we kind of need you here. Mm -hmm. And Nora volunteers. And very clearly Nora has read a book on how to tend to fires. And so she goes through the steps of how to keep a good fire. Yeah, and the, we, we see the group really get increasingly worried through this, you know, as Tony's kind of leading them 
they're all like various levels of oh like ha 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 like fat and in the woods you know leah has a little bit of running commentary about it but we, we do see them start to to freak out a little bit definitely and once they decide to go for a hike you see leah's kind of jokey commentary continue and she says you know we'll probably hear her before we see her bitching about her flat hair and this is when dot says i actually know i see more mm-hmm. and it's kind of an interesting parallel because we also see more of dot and the girls see more of dot than i think that um dot would say that they know about her to some yeah. extent but dot says you know Whatever that girl was doing before she got here, she wasn't half-assing it. And she refers to her fingers being callous as fuck. Mm-hmm. It's that sense of, you know, who sees people and who doesn't see people. And so Leah's really not seeing Fatten, but that's Leah's stuff. Like, it's because she's upset at Fatten. It's because she's angry at Fatten. Before that sort of altercation happened between them, I think she was getting closer to seeing Fatten and understanding who she was overall as a person. But the second she put those walls up, she just reduced Fatten back down into being an adversary and into being someone she could really belittle their contributions to the group. We also see Leah continue to spin as the hype progresses, which is a reinforced reference to Gretchen's kind of overall summary of Leah. This is when Leah really says, you know, like in any horror movie, everyone makes a joke and then this is when the animal comes out or whatnot. And so Tony kind of adds to it and says something along the lines of, last night when I was out, I heard an animal howling and screeching and that sort of thing. And we hear Dot kind of come in and we also see Dot gesture, you know, was it about this big or this big? And Tony says, "Uh, the latter form of of bigness. I mean, let's be clear, though, there isn't that big of a difference between Dot's hands. She's not motioning like something large. It's very similar in size. And what it reminds me of is 20 questions. I don't know if you all have ever played, but normally when you're playing 20 questions, one of the first like three or four questions you ask, at least where I'm from, is is it bigger than a bread box? And so like, this really helps you understand like the scale of it. And it's such like a weird form of measurement to use, you know, measuring things in bread boxes that people often pause a little bit. And you can learn a lot, whether, you know, they're definitely yes or definitely no, or whether they think about it, it can help you determine scale a little bit. That's what it reminded me of because, you know, Dot's hands were in and around the size of a bread box. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of me is like, I don't know, like we're Canadian. And so... Like, things are kind of big here, but, like, doesn't necessarily mean that, like, what's big is harmful. And I think it's, like, it's kind of like Australia and those parts of the world. It's, like, the smaller it is, the more likely it can kill you. Like, spiders and scorpions and snakes, like, they're not big and threatening animals. But it does sound to me like they are worried about something more like a tiger or a jaguar or something. Because they are worried about, like, something digging up a body, which, like, I don't think snakes can dig. Or scorpions. No, that's not what you worry about. Or spiders. Like, I don't think... I mean, like, maybe they can dig, but, like, I think they're actually worried about something more, like, mammalian. My my question overall is, you know, when you're putting a bunch of girls on an island, like, did, did Gretchen specifically choose an island that didn't have a large predator? Because we haven't seen any evidence of one. Until now, because as we're talking about the size of the animal... The leaves, they start shaking, mm-hmm. and it's big ruckus, and out pops all of a sudden this tiny little ferret. Yeah, they all have a good laugh about yeah, it. Yeah, it's funny. It's, and that's like classic wood stuff. Like when you're in the woods, you'll hear something and it sounds so loud, and then it's a chipmunk, and you're like, oh, great. <laughs> I was spooked about nothing. 
So it's at about this point that Rachel is out. And Leah, of course, reacts to that right away. She says, it's no problem if you drag us into your stunts, but if it doesn't fit your agenda, you bail. And Rachel kind of shoots back and says, you know, actually, I wasn't just like backing out. I was just planning on fanning out to increase the search area. And do we believe her? Uh, (laughs) I think that... Rachel was definitely going back. Me too. I wholeheartedly, which is weird because like, I don't really actually think of Rachel as like a quitter and we've seen that drive, but I think Leah actually hits it bang on. Rachel really plays it off and Leah's quite forgiving with it. But like, I actually think they know each other well enough through all their experiences that like Rachel was going to bail because it didn't fit her agenda. Or I think, yeah, it was just such a nice call out to Rachel's episode, you know, when Leah was facing Rachel's expectations. And this is one of many times that we've sort of seen Leah mimicking those expectations back to Rachel and sort of saying to Rachel, you know, you can't throw all this shit on other people if you're not ready to meet it yourself. But overall, I think it's smart to divide. I think actually like all six of them traipsing through the forest in one group isn't actually the most effective way to look for Fatten. I agree. It's also at this point that we see, so Dot Dot and Rachel are going to break off and it's so cute. I just love Dot. (laughs) It's so cute because Dot volunteers to go with Rachel and she says like, leave no one behind. And during that time, she like salutes really cutely and like Mm -hmm. they like skirt off. And so Leah, of course, shouts after her, I'm not fucking crazy. And then followed by, I know screaming that didn't help my case. Yeah. And we we talked about this last episode, but... You know, Leah and Rachel are both so sensitive to that word. They're so sensitive to the word crazy. They're so sensitive to the word psycho. They keep throwing it back and forth at each other because it is for both of them one of the worst things that they can say to the other. A, it calls it back, obviously, to that break in their relationship, but it, it also hits both of them really hard. This is a hard one, too, because, you know, when Leah said it, she wasn't saying it to hurt Rachel when she originally said, you know, she's psycho. She was acting out about the fact that, you know, Rachel almost drowned her. But it's this been this ongoing thing. And now that they know that it's a trigger point word for both of them, they both are freely using it towards each other. So Dawn and Rachel break off and it's kind of a gift that keeps on giving in terms of Rachel's like, you know what, like, this is perfect. You feel no need for lame ass chatter. But in a similar way of Fadden with Tony in the last episode, the second Rachel says that, like, it just totally erupts in terms of like what her feelings are. But it's framed in a bit of a different way than Tony unloading on Fadden, where she's like, no need for lame ass chatter, but you ever notice how Leah bugs? She's all my precious about the book you know, lighten up kind of thing. And Dot is like kindred fucking spirits. Like both of you need to lighten up. Well, also it's two literary references, which is very funny when you think about the fact that, you know, Dot was like books, man, can't get into them. My Precious obviously is Lord of the Rings. It's a Tolkien reference. And then kindred, not kindred fucking spirits, but kindred spirits is an Anne of Green Gables reference. So it's just for for, for Dot to be so anti-book, it was just, fun in this situation for that to get thrown because you'd also assume to a certain level not that Rachel's anti-book but like she's so physically driven that I just don't see her having that much time to read 
Well, it's actually Rachel's second literary reference because she says my precious, but in the episode before she says, oh. oh, that's some real Virginia Woolf type shit. Maybe I pinned Rachel all wrong. Maybe she's a secret reader. I guess she like spends time with her parents and Nora too. And so literary references are probably really ingrained in sort of the way that they talk and things. But anyways, it's just an interesting conversation to have with Dot. Definitely. And, you know, they're like quiet book chat about Leah, kindred spirits. It's quite short-lived because Rachel very quickly stumbles into some quicksand. Like Rachel's like biggest strength, but also one of her greatest weaknesses is like the feeling or ability that she can kind of accomplish anything, especially there's a physical element to it. Like she's so good at pushing herself in that way. She's like, oh, quicksand, no problem. I can get out of this. But like not a lot of people have gotten out of quicksand and like a really foundational element of getting out of quicksand is not moving because the more you move, the more you go into said quicksand. Mm -hmm. And so thankfully they cause a lot of noise and so they do get relief. But it's interesting because it's edited together with the scene of Nora struggling with the fire. And it's like Nora can sense or hear, or both sense and hear that Rachel is in danger and Rachel is in trouble. And so Nora's having a really hard time focusing on the task at hand in terms of what do I do in terms of like, go get Rachel, go see if Rachel's okay, go take care of her, but also like contributing to the overall livelihood of camp with keeping the fire alive. And so we do see that the girls come and rescue Rachel and Martha. Like Martha's role to date has kind of been unknown, but you're starting to get a glimmer of it here because you see her really look Rachel in the eye and say, you need to calm down, just relax, just breathe. And Rachel really kind of listens to that and goes still to the point where she, like, the other girls are able to pull her out. And Nora also kind of hears and senses that too. And Nora is able to breathe and oxygen is key. And so it actually contributes to relighting the fire as well. And so it's a really great editing together of Nora and Rachel and also their twin connection, but also seeing what Martha's bringing as well in a way that we haven't explored Martha's character too much to date. I think there's like a cool contrast comparison going on between what Rachel needs to do in the quicksand and what Nora needs to do in the fire. You know, Rachel has demonstrated so much that, you know, she can't accept help. But when she's in the quicksand, she can't do it alone. She has to accept help. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you have Nora, who's by herself and, you know, almost looks around for a second for someone to help her get this fire going. But she, there's no one there. She has to do it alone. So Rachel has to do it with people. Nora has to do it alone in a way that is often switched for both of them. And then also even just, you know, both of them are panicking in this situation. And Nora needs to move, though, and Rachel needs to be still. And it's this weird sort of switch of the way that they normally interact in the world that I thought was really, really interesting and how they needed to take on roles that were separate. It's also really important because, you know, Rachel's always trying to go off and do things on her own and those that sense of like not needing anyone. We talked about it a lot in Rachel's episode. You know, Nora's always really focused on Rachel, has to watch Rachel, has to make sure Rachel's okay. But even the fact that Nora volunteered to go back and watch the fire, you know, Rachel's wandering through the woods, yes, with a group, but in a very dangerous situation. And the Nora that we saw when they first got to the island would have wanted to be there with Rachel. You know, she followed them up the top of that mountain. She would have wanted to be there to watch Rachel and make sure that she's okay. But there's this shift in their relationship here where Nora's like, I can do this. I can take care of this fire. I can go do this. And I know that you'll be okay. And it's just, a, it's a it's a shifting dynamic in the way that the two of them interact, both with the group and also with the larger island. 
I think that's so accurate. And it's something I also was reflecting on when watching the scene is like, the quicksand is like kind of a trope of like falling and going into the woods. It's like, oh, someone undoubtedly falls in the quicksand. But if you're thinking about all the eight girls, you know, who's going to get the most learning and who are they is going to get the most growing. It's actually kind of good that it happened to Rachel because so many times she does feel that she's kind of above these external threats. And like, because she's so internally motivated that she doesn't always think about the external factors. And so I think it was really centering or I hope it was really centering for her to really understand that like, number one, she doesn't need to do everything alone and that these girls will help her and these girls will care for her. But also too, that there's like very real things that could affect her on this island that she cannot control. Mm-hmm. And so I think you're bang on that it's really neat the way that they parallel between Rachel and Nora. And I think it hopefully will help their characters continue to grow too. I think it's interesting that Martha gets her there because I often find that Martha is the most similar in temperament and the way that she approaches the world to Nora. They have both that sort of calming experience. So everyone is telling her to, you know, stop struggling, stop struggling. But it's when Martha gets down on the ground, kind of gets face to face with her, eye to eye to her, she's able to reach through that panic. And I think the way that she does it is is very Nora-esque and in a very powerful way. So after the quicksand scene, they come back together. And so they continue to look for Fatten, but are very muddy while doing so. And Shelby proposes maybe it's time to stop, which Dot echoes as well. Leah, as we've talked about, you know, she's been spinning and we do see that kind of turmoil in her eyes that she doesn't want to stop. And she says, we have to keep looking. We have to find her. And her voice is super hoarse in this scene too. You know, Mm -hmm. they've been shouting Fatten kind of nonstop all day. And so... They keep looking and we actually jump away from the scene, but we come back and it, it kind of is edited to feel like actually not much later after this happened, they do find Fatten. Fatten pops up. She says, hey, yo. And Leah, Leah falls down. She's just like, oh shit, like I'm going to fall. So Fatten has nail polish in her hand at this and all of them remarkably except Leah and Tony are like, what the hell have you been doing? You've just been mannying and pettying this whole time. Like as if you've been doing this, like we should have known you were just off, like tending to your needs. We've been worried sick. Fatten's like, are you guys done yet? I have something to show you. Well, she's so chill. She doesn't even get upset at them. She's kind of watches them freak out and is like, no, 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 just wait, just wait. And so the thing that Fatten has to show, you see this like beautiful oasis waterfall fresh water and obviously everybody is super pumped about it Fenton is an instant hero in that moment like everything is just put aside and people are like yeah you are the best and so lots of things happen in this like post waterfall discovery scene and so we've talked before about the relation between Fatten and dot and dot really comments and celebrates and compliments Fatten by saying, you know, it was a really good hustle, marking the path. I've never been more prouder. And you actually see all the girls having fun too. And so Martha and Shelby are having a bit of like a water splashing fight, which like Tony kind of looks at all jealously. And, you know, you're reminded that there's still some like unresolved tension between Tony and Martha because we've spent so much looking for Fatten here. But there is that, like that's still fresh, that's still there. And also just like everyone's going for a nice swim, they're having a nice flow, like Fatten's getting some sun, like Fatten's actually not in the water, she's just like tanning and having a nice time. But it is a really nice moment after this like really hard day that they're all just relaxing. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you. Yeah. You know, Fatten says that you know she went looking for something useful. Do you think that Fatten went looking for something useful as her initial reaction? Or do you think that that came after? 
I actually do think that she went to do something oh. useful. And the reason I think that is because Gretchen says something that we know is untrue, which is that Fatten disappears when provoked. But we know that's not true. And so what does Fatten do when she is provoked? And I think what she does do is try to find kind of solutions or get back. And getting back at somebody can be either be positive or negative. You can either kind of kill them with kindness or you can strike. I don't know if that knew what she was looking for, like if she was looking for something to strike or if she was looking for something to kind of build back trust and credibility. But I actually do think that she did go out looking for something. Yeah, I think there's there's something interesting in there with, you know, this all came at the tail end of that argument last night around you know, Fatten being a goods provider and Fatten provided the goods so she shouldn't have to do the services. And so she is in the sense like doing a service and she is kind of like, you know, putting her her skills and some of like her knowledge and like also just some of that work into finding something that will actually substantially help the group. I want to draw a little comparison too that I think is really powerful between this moment when they're when they're swimming and actually one of the first scenes that we saw Fatten when she's playing the cello. So at the beginning when we see her, you know, she finishes playing and she kind of stands and everyone's clapping and applauding for her and she has no expression on her face. She doesn't look proud. She doesn't look excited. She doesn't look happy. But at the end of the waterfall scene, the girls start clapping and cheering for her, finding this. And you can tell this means something more to her. Like being able to do this for them and being able to be their hero in that way means more to her than any recital that she ever played at. And you can just see her glee at receiving that sort of recognition and that sort of sight from them in a way that that we didn't see in that first scene. And so I think when we're thinking about like, does Fatten love the cello? Does she love these things? And I don't know if we have a concrete answer, but I know in this moment that this means more to her than that. And you know, all this talk about waterfalls and swimming leads us to this week's field note of the week. Allie, what's our field note of the week? So this is the field note. How each girl learned to swim. Martha took a class with her mom. Tony would sneak into the neighbor's above ground pool by night until she kind of taught herself. Rachel and Nora had private lessons. Fatten's grandparents had an infinity pool. Leah learned in Lake Tahoe at a family reunion. Dot went to the quarry. And Shelby's dad threw her into the country club pool sink or swim style. Something that strikes me is the Shelby one in terms of her dad throwing her into the pool. And we had another field note that I don't actually think we ended up talking about, but it was when Shelby does the prank on Dot. Mm -hmm. And we learned that the Goodkins are actually pranksters. But this is kind of a contradictory one for her in terms of like they're pranksters, but then they also like just chuck their children in the deep end. And so, I mean, I think we're, we're excited about all the episodes, but perhaps this is something we'll revisit when we come to Shelby's. Absolutely. I think too, it's just as a general flag, important to note, they all know how to swim. They all know CPR and they all know the words to raise your glass. And they all know how to swim, which is very important when you're going to put people on an island. I just want to say one more thing before we wrap up this, this woods saga. Ever since we had that scene where Gretchen talked about, you know, the geography of relationships, like when they're coming down from the mountain, I think about it a lot. I pay attention to the way that the girls form themselves and the way they walk. And so for most of today, you can really see that like Leah leads the group. And so Leah's really that pusher. She's really the one that that pushes them along. And no one questions it. No one tries to take the leadership of it. You know, the only time that Tony leads is when she's taking them to that piece of fabric. And everyone 
senses that she needs this and they show up. And I think that's important that they're showing up for Leah. And, you know, we've seen episodes where people have pieced out on things or given up on things or said, oh, I'm not going to do this. But in this moment, everyone shows up for Leah. And by showing up for Leah, they're also showing up for Fatten in a way that I think is really important. I want to hop back and do the second part of Fatten's backstory. So our next sort of scene in it is a family barbecue. We see Fat and tanning. Her mom is is grilling and her dad is golfing with her younger brothers. You know, her mom kind of starts to push in on Fat and asking how much she's been practicing. Fatten gets annoyed and, and wants to go back inside, you know, expressing that she she already did her practicing for the day and she's done. And her dad asks Fatten to check on the watch auction that was mentioned earlier. And so when she's going to do this, she sees a bunch of messages and photos from other women that have been sent to her dad and we see her sort of crying and looking over and watching her parents because you know in that moment it's almost like she's seeing her her dad as like a hero in her life as as that ally that she had really being cut down and it's just it's a very tangible moment where we see sort of her faith in him crack well it's so instant right like there's so few things i think that like somebody can do or say or demonstrate when it just shatters everything, right? You know, and like, this is one of those moments where it just shatters everything so quickly. It's, it's watching a hero fall. We're watching Fatten's hero fall in front of her face. I think like, even as we're seeing this and we're beginning to recognize that, you know, Fatten has an intense line of right and wrong. It's interesting that for both of them, sex is one of their outlets, you know? Her dad, obviously it's different but it isn't different in the same way and there there is like a parallel and that's like the way or one of the ways that both of them use an outlet and i also think it's really important that you know fatten isn't influenced by her hero doing something wrong sometimes you'll see that happen is someone's hero will will do something that's against the social rules or against the law and then because they're your hero you kind of start to justify it well if they're doing it then it must be fine but that's not something that happens with her you know she doesn't question her own morals or her own understanding of this is a line for her that she would never want to cross for a second she kind of just digs into the sand and she's like no this is wrong that kind of surprised me to some extent part of me wondered why she didn't think perhaps first that maybe her parents aren't monogamous you know and you know her mom almost like hints at that a little bit later on when she says like you don't really understand like maybe it was like maybe that's part of their relationship but that's that's something that kind of surprised me that like she didn't kind of look to that similarity that she had with her dad first and foremost because like Fadden's not monogamous right like Mm -hmm. we saw a series of, of hookups and so it surprised me that that's not maybe where she tried to go first or she didn't try to talk about it but but maybe it just go, it goes back to that like adult versus kids and her not really being involved in their relationship or their challenges. You know, sometimes social perception and like embarrassment in social circles is a really big thing. So I don't necessarily know that it means that they didn't have a monogamous relationship. I think it it speaks to that sort of bigger narrative that exists in some cultures of problems in a marriage belong in that marriage specifically and like shouldn't be spread larger than that and like when there are problems like they need to be dealt with in that space and I I think that might be a little bit more what her mom is saying but I I do agree there's a little bit of nuance there and I think the fact that you know Fatten didn't even consider for a second that there could have been an arrangement is is a bit of a problem and it is a bit of a you know she says later on at one point I maybe don't know anything about love 
And mm-hmm. so I think like she also has come to that realization. And so the next sort of scene that we see Fatten in, she's hanging out with a guy. She turns her phone around, shows him a nude photo slash dick pic of her dad and, you know, shares that there's dozens of these that he's sent in real life and clearly also from her going through his messages, you know, girls that he's actually hooked up with. And she confides in that moment that she's going to send this picture to her entire dad's contact list, but she's going to encrypt it so that they won't know that it's coming from her. And he gives her a little bit of feedback around this and says, you know, maybe you shouldn't, maybe this isn't the best idea. But once again, she has, she's drawn that line. She's decided that this is wrong and this needs to be called out. And she wants to call it out in a very loud way. And I think like, this is like what Gretchen is saying about, you know, she doesn't run from a problem. She doesn't hide. She doesn't ignore it. She draws attention to it and she does it in in a way where there's no real backing out of it. You know, it's not like she could go confront her dad about it and they could remedy their relationship or talk through it or whatever. She's doing it on a very public scale and in a way that you can't really take something back. Yeah, there's no undo button when you press send. That's life advice too. Mm-hmm. Fatten comes home. Her mom is crying and panicking, saying she doesn't know what to do. Fatten calms her down. She puts some lipstick on her, which is a really important callback to her mom talking about the importance of image and, you know, how when she looks powerful, she feels powerful. And and Fatten says to her that she's sorry in that moment and, and, and offers a, a bit of comfort to her mom in a way that we haven't really seen as of yet, especially with the tension that exists in their relationship. And it's, it's sweet and kind of putting on her mom's makeup for her and, and trying to help her recenter on who she is and not who she is in relation to what is happening around her. And that sort of leads us into our final scene with Fatten. So we see her sitting, I think, in her kitchen with her mom and her dad. They're sitting at the table and her parents tell her that they know that she was the one who sent the picture. And they talk a little bit about the effect that that had, you know, so her brother is not feeling like they could go to school, some lost listings that her mom has as a real estate agent. And Fatten is kind of lashing out and says she doesn't understand why she's being blamed when she feels like she wasn't the person who did something wrong. I think she knows that, you know, she shouldn't have done what she did, but she's really looking back to who did the first wrong, who threw the first stone. And so for her, it's her dad. She says, this is all based on something that he did. It's a big confrontation between the two of them. And her mom steadily gets more and more upset during this and then eventually tells her that, you know, she's going to be going on a retreat for young women. Assumingly for the summer is kind of what it sounds like a little bit that it's going to be, which is a bit of a different time frame than we've heard previously when it's been like when Leah's parents said to her, oh, it's a weekend retreat. There seems to be the implication there that they know it's going to be a longer thing. Her mom then leaves the table, kind of walks away from the situation and Fatten asks her dad how they knew. And she and her dad kind of argue about it, about whose fault it is. They they lash out a little bit um, and he sort of defines her as the threat in their family so she is the external threat in their family and also tells her that you know after this retreat she is going to be leaving she's going to be going to a strict boarding school in Oregon which is a callback to what he told her which is that when he was a kid his parents always threatened to send him to a work camp boarding school is obviously very different than a work camp but for someone like Fatten that is a big like thing she doesn't want to go to this sort of strict Muslim boarding school where you know 
all she's ever expressed is that she needs more social interaction. She needs to be able to go out and have fun. And the implication is that with her being sent here, that won't be an option anymore. What we know so far from Fadden is that like she actually tries to resist structure in so many ways and that like her playing the cello is that structure. And so the fact that her parents are going to send her to a very strict Muslim boarding school implies that things are going to get a little bit trickier for her. If I can for a moment, I do want to pause and talk about just like the influence and impact of culture. And so Ali and I are not Muslim. We have friends that are Muslim, but I don't want to for a minute say that I understand that experience. But something that that struck me is the community implications that I think are really hard for me to really understand in terms of you know, her parents talk about how the mom can't show her face in mosque and how, you know, the brothers are too embarrassed to go to school and how that really kind of spread quickly. And I just, it goes back to the storytelling of the wilds. And so the director of this ep- this episode is a, a very talented Saudi Arabian female filmmaker and director, Haifa Al-Mansur. And Sophia Ali is Pakistani. And so number one, it's just so great to see Middle Eastern actors and actresses on screen also directed of that you know Haifa Mansour is the first Saudi Arabian female filmmaker and the risk and the perseverance and the grit and the dedication for her to do all those things is is insurmountable but just kind of wanted to hone in on you know who's telling these stories too because I think that's really important as we try to tease apart all of these different things and the ways in which the family is looked at here and the the ways in which the relationships kind of unfold and the impacts and implications unfold as well. Um, And I think it's really important when we're thinking about, you know, how these stories are being told and just the people on the screen and the people sort of behind the camera are trying to tell stories of the ways that family interact and the ways that they sort of see and perceive and, you know, what would be some of those biggest pieces that would make them upset. It's weird because earlier in the episode, we talked about how strategic she was and like, maybe she is strategic, but like, in a lot of respects, that was strategic for like, what purposes to like hurt her dad and hurt her family kind of backfired because now she's kind of the odd one out. Well, I don't think she thought when she did it like she was so angry at her dad and she was so angry at her dad for not being the person that she thought he was that she just I don't think she thought through the repercussions she said I'm gonna do this I'm gonna release this photo I'm gonna show the world that he's not this perfect person but she didn't think through what that would do to her brother she didn't think through you know the implications her family would have navigating their community and you can even see you know her dad can't even comprehend why she betrayed him because he expected her to stay loyal to him. And Fatten, though, has more loyalty to her own morals, though. And so I'm really hoping that something we can learn in season two is, like, where this comes from. And so even, like, her anger at him and her lashing out about this, you know, there's a lot of questions. Is it about the cheating? Is it about the betrayal? Is it about a breach in trust? Is it about that breach in loyalty? She has such a visceral reaction to what he's doing. And I really want to, like, be able to dig down into the roots of where that comes from and why this was the line that she was like, no, this is it. Her her parents share with her that, you know, they say that the hurt that you caused runs deeper than anything that he did. And for Fatten... She doesn't agree with that. For her, what he did is like the core, the worst thing that he could have done, the biggest hurt. And so I don't know. I think in this, you know, if we think of Fatten as someone who is really loyal, then my question is like, who was Fatten being loyal to? 
Because, you know, her mother would say she wasn't being loyal to her because of the repercussions of her reaching out. You know, her dad would say that she wasn't being loyal to him. Her brothers would probably say that she wasn't being loyal to them. So who was she being loyal to in that moment? Was it herself? Was it her own values? Was it her own understanding of right and wrong? Or where was she balancing that? that where was she centering herself? She kind of says in this scene too, she says, I don't hurt the people that I love. But she does. And that that's the end all of this scene. And yeah. so I think it's this her trying to bring together to this perception of herself versus, you know, the actual implications of her actions. There's a little bit of turn in narrative, even with her saying, like, I don't hurt the people that I love. Whereas we had Tony last episode saying that I only hurt the people that I love. And so I always like to look a little bit at the episodes that come before and after, because I think there's really interesting ways that these characters were obviously carefully selected in these episodes and like in what order they were going to come in. There's interesting ways that they hit up against each other. And then finally, we see Fatten packing her suitcase of wonders. So she's in her bedroom. She's putting all her things in it. It's our it's our favorite pink suitcase. We AKA see her... 2021's number one selling Halloween costume. <laughs> we see her um, packing her clothes, all those pieces. We also see her packing some of her dad's watches. So um, we see her kind of secretly pull them out of a drawer and sneak them into her suitcase. Her brother comes in. They have a little bit of a nice moment. You know, she asks him if he's going to miss her. She scratches his head a little bit with her new nails that she can get because she won't be playing the cello. And you can see that sort of love that she has for him in a way that we haven't really seen the two of them interact at any other point in, in her backstory so far. Just picking back up on your point about how Fatten's going away seems to be for longer than like a weekend retreat. You know, the way that she's packing is a little bit different too you know there's a reason why that she siphons these watches off you know like she probably doesn't need a dress watch for the acoustic guitar circle so (laughs) why is she doing that and more than that you know the leah stuff we've seen so far her relationship with jeffrey it piles on over many months and then it seems that you know we referred to a, a dark place that she was in in one of her ep- earlier episodes in terms of hauling her out of that you know it's such a long game for leah but it seems like it really happened in such a short period of time for fatten you know this thing happened with her dad and instantaneously there was a confrontation and there was a packing and there was a plan for her to go spend some time away and from there, you know, have another intervention, which is going away to boarding school in Oregon. And so for me, I'm just, then I'm like, okay, so like, we know that these folks are linked. And so like, was Leah the original person that they were interested in? And then like, they tried to like, find someone else that was like chaotic and blow up their life. That's something that I'm really kind of like, as I think back to Dot, I'm like, was Dot the person that they were always interested in? And then they blow up Shelby's life? Because Dot's thing also happened in like, a series of months and same with Rachel you know like Rachel's the diving and being in treatment and all that stuff it's a lot of months leading up and so I'm like why especially these unrelated pairs these like non-sibling pairs of Fatten and Leah as well as Shelby and Dot I'm like how did that come to be because again the timing and the pace is so different when we've talked about this before, I think that everyone was selected for a very important reason. And I think it was about the skills that they were going to bring. And I think it's about, you know, their personality and whatever this idealized group they're trying to build on the island. Something that I think needs to be noted and people really need to think about a little bit is Leah and Fatten, who are a pair, go to the same school, had their lives blown up almost in the same way. There's a confrontation 
in which we see someone external who sent information. So for Leah, it was her birth certificate being sent to Jeffrey. And for Fatten, it is someone leaking to her parents that she's the one that shared this photo. I think it's important to note that, you know, she said, I encrypted it. So automatically what that makes me feel like is it wasn't like one of her friends who like uncracked this. It would have had to be someone with significant resources, which makes me feel like it's part of the bigger research thing because otherwise what's the point in noting that it's encrypted? But Leah and Fatten were selected, their lives were specifically blown up in order to put them on this island, in order to push their parents to the point where they would send them away. There's a piece that's missing that we saw with Daw and her dad in terms of there's that connection with Gretchen that was made. But the piece that's missing is like, did these people just like Google like interventions to help my teenage daughter? And it was like Google sponsored ad. Like, how did they get? I think that's targeted. I think there's a bigger movement in here. And I think that when you're blowing up someone's life, you also have to walk over and hand them a lifeline. Like, I don't think there was someone ran an article in the paper that said, having problems with your daughter, like call this number. I think... We see this with Dot's dad getting the business card. Gretchen reached out. If not Gretchen, someone in her team reached out. And it was there was a conscious, deliberate, planned effort to recruit these particular people. Right. So you're very much on the side of like total facilitation. Total facilitation. There's there's always like there's a bigger question about like how did they find them? So yeah, like that's the part I have a hard time with like the total facilitation method or total facilitation idea is like how them in the first place or they did they just like study a whole school and like look for because that i mean observational research is like oftentimes it's the first step into doing something bigger right so maybe that was the case they looked at a few different schools and then they found the people from there yeah it could be they also could have like people in the schools or like like a covert (gasps) guidance counselor you know reach out if you have their educational stakeholders (laughs) educational stakeholders and there could be something going on with that i don't have an answer about how they got to those particular girls but I do think that there is a method to the madness and it's not like they just went through 700 files and said ah these ones seem okay it was deliberate it was conscious and I think in some situations they've blown up each other they've blown up their lives deliberately and caused issues like this deliberately I think it's easiest to think about this as you know they picked one and then they blew up the other's life And that was the way that I was thinking about it for a long time. So, you know, like, oh, they're bringing dots and they need to find someone else, maybe Shelby or whatever that looks like. But I think the fact that Lee and Fatten were both deliberately blown up is a little bit different. Back to research land, we see that these girls finding the fountain is a milestone and Gretchen refers to it as fountain milestone. Unfortunately, she doesn't give it a number, so we're not able to slot it into the number of milestones that we're keeping track of. But Gretchen also refers to it as that it saves them some headaches that they don't need to account for. And as Ali talked about earlier, it is about perhaps them not wanting to intervene as much as possible. And so Gretchen says, now they have water, everyone's intact, everyone's reunited, and so they can kind of move on. Tom knows what's up, and he pours booze. He knows it's about celebration. But Tom brings a drink over to Alex, He doesn't want to indulge it. And that's when Gretchen kind of says, throw it in my face. You need to kind of get over this. Just like chuck it in my face. And he does. And it looks amazing. It's so weird too, because the second that he does it, she's like, okay, now get over your stuff. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I feel like he's mad that Jeanette is dead. He's mad about all these other things. And for Gretchen, she's like, throw this drink in my face and get the fuck over it. And he's expected to get over it. And I'm like, I don't know if this is... 
a proportional retaliation. The scene ends in a weird way, and we don't really know where it's going, but Gretchen says, speaking of which, it's time. We don't know what the time is, but Gretchen says, it is time. Yes, it is time. Have you ever thrown a drink in someone's face? No. Oh, I really want to. Maybe I have. I don't know. I did some things in my early 20s. Certainly, like, friends of mine have thrown drinks in people's face. I'm too, I'm a bit of a pacifist. Well, why don't we do it the other day? We'll do it in a day. It'll be a little date. We'll just throw drinks in each other's faces. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we do have a water gun that I sometimes spray you with. Or actually, the spritz bottle for the old plants. Yeah, but I sometimes if we want to with. experience and make sure that we've experienced having a drink thrown in both of our faces and throwing a drink, like, let's just do it. I'm okay with it. I and we, does mad. it have to be a date? <laughs> I guess not. It could just be, be like a Tuesday. It could be just be a Tuesday activity. Great. So shifting back to the island, we see the girls sitting around the fire. They're boiling water. Martha kind of wonders how they can tell the water is boiled. Um, she has a little bit of like a funny series of lines where she she says like, "How do you count them? Is it steamboats? Is it Mississippi's?" I I don't know what to tell you, Martha. Just overcount. Yeah, I mean it's not that long. I mean it's not that long. Fatten's response, though, is she gives Martha one of the watches. We've seen Fatten with these watches before. We just saw her pack them. We saw her take them from the suitcase during inventory earlier. But she gives it to Martha and says that she can she can use that. Then Fatten walks over and she approaches Leah, who is digging in the suitcase over to the side. I'm not really sure what she's doing. I wrote she was going shopping. <laughs> yeah, okay, she's going shopping. Leah, they kind of sit there for a minute and then Leah gives Fatten a olive branch in the form of some hot pink underwear and says you know you don't have to share everything with the collective which is a bit of a callback to last episode when fatten said you know i gave all my stuff to all of you i have nothing of my own fatten takes this as a moment and and apologizes to leah she apologizes for you know putting her stuff on blast for opening up sort of like some of those Jeffrey wounds again. And Leah apologizes back to Fatten. And they they have this like really nice moment after where, you know, Fatten's like, I'm gonna try something. And then she hugs Leah, sort of cementing that that forgiveness between the two of them. I love the Fatten line. If I wasn't so personally victimized, I would have been impressed. And a lot of folks, you know, are shipping Leah Tin and like moments like these, like I'm on board with. Yeah, it's, it's important that, you know, this Fatten who we saw having no friends in her real life is building relationships here. You know, she takes the initiative. She doesn't let Leah apologize first. She really wants to be the first one to take that step and to really kind of repair that relationship in a, in a, in a good way. And a, a brief PSA. In addition to our other PSAs today, in terms of once you press send, you can't undo... The other PSA I want to say is that as they're wrapping up this conversation, I believe Fatten says, let's go hydrate our faces off. And please go drink some water if you're listening to this. It's probably been at least an hour. Go drink some water, especially if you're over the age of 20, 25. Hydration is really important. Chances are you're dehydrated. Go hydrate your face off. Thank you. It's great. <laughs> Anyways. And so both Fatten and Leah go back over to the fire. They sit and Leah decides to throw another olive branch out. She just throw in olive branches made of weird things. Well, as we mentioned, Leah's a horticulturalist. So this is what I call Olive Garden. Yes. <laughs> Holy. No. Absolutely not. My gut reaction was to say yes. And then immediately after I was like, no. Um, oh. but, what she, but what she does 
is she gives Rachel the book to burn. So she hands Rachel over the book and says this will make good kindling. As you mentioned earlier, Rachel proceeds to throw the entire book on the fire in a way that I was like, this isn't the way that you sustainably use this paper, but sure, Rachel. Symbolism good, execution poor. And I think it also just like makes us think too, you know, when we when we saw Leah in the bunker, you know, she still seemed hung up on on Jeffrey, but this is a moment where she burned what was, you know, my precious, like one of her most valuable connections, one of her most valuable connections to Jeffrey. And she burns it for the reparation of a relationship. And I think that's important when we're thinking about, you know, in what ways is Leah potentially acting to the detectives and the, the detective and the psychologist like she's still hung up? And, and what, how does that contrast with the ways that we've actually seen her grow? Dot confides during sort of the scene around the fire that she's worried about animals, especially with kind of what she heard from Tony and some of the things that they've seen in the woods or heard moving in the woods. So we see the girls all walking. They hear something sort of howl in the distance. And what Dot does is she takes them to Jeanette's grave and shares that she wants to move the body and rebury it further away. And so the girls have nerves about doing this. They do all agree that it'll make them the most safe and everyone participates in digging. Also, man, I've watched Bones. This is like day seven, which means we're day seven of decomp. And I'm like, I don't know if you want to dig up this body, fam. Like, it hasn't been eaten yet. I don't, I don't know. I was a little bit like, uh, like Shelby and Martha too are like the last to kind of get down and help. And, you know, they hold the most like idealized version of like who they are and stuff. And a lot of those like moral pieces where they're like, I don't want to disturb disturb a grave but um yeah i was i was a little bit scared they were actually gonna come across the body but they dig and they dig i'm just trying to add some music to it is it working and there's no body at the end and the group kind of thinks about it and they they come to the decision or they come to the theory that the tide may have pulled the body out and so with that you know everyone kind of takes comfort from it in different ways shelby describes you know Yes, Jeanette's floating out in the ocean, but Mother Nature has her arms around her. And everyone kind of like stands and walks off back to camp with the exception of Leah and Fatten. And so in that moment, Leah confides that she doesn't believe that the tide did it. And then what we get here is a scene interspersed with Fatten and the detectives. So we haven't seen Fatten in a post-island world yet. We haven't seen her with the detectives yet. I think it was done probably to create that sense throughout the episode that maybe she was harmed or she was hurt and like we didn't know what was happening with her. And in this scene, they're questioning Fatten about if she and the others believed Leah. Leah's sitting there saying like she thinks that something bigger is wrong. And Fatten says that she did kind of believe Leah. She brushes it off a little bit and says like, oh, maybe it was because I was... I was starting to like her, but she also describes that like Leah could feel it in her bones that something was wrong. And it's not really how we see Fatten interact in the situation. She kind of listens to Leah and she sort of says, you know, just leave it. We have to go back. And she stands up and leaves. And we see Leah sort of sitting there beside the grave. And there's a little bit of like a montage of weird moments sort of 
flashing through. So we see the sun rising or setting. I'm not sure if I get that one. But then we see, you know, Leah screaming on the raft in the water. We see the scene of Jeanette dropping to her knees and dying. And then we also see Leah holding Jeanette's second phone. So, you know, she's clearly thinking back through Jeanette's body's gone. But Jeanette is also this really big question mark for Leah that she doesn't really understand. And so she's sitting there kind of thinking, like, what does this all mean overall? Yeah, number one, I've never been more happy to see Fatten in my entire life. And generally, I'm quite delighted to see her when she graces my screen. But when we see her at the end with the detectives, you just have that moment of relief. You're like, oh, okay. Because the whole episode, it started off a bit different, right? We hadn't seen her in that post-island world, as Ellie talked about. And so to see her there in the flesh recounting her story was really great. Something else I want to point out is that when Fatten tells the detectives... Leah felt like there was something odd. She only shared it with me. You know, the detectives ask her, did she tell anybody else? She said, no, no, she only shared it with me. Others might have thought that she wasn't doing well. And actually, they already kind of felt like she wasn't doing well. But I believed her. And all I wrote down in my notes is that there's like a lot of weird eye contact and weird music. They're like sensing each other out. And I think Fatten's trying to understand if that's like a... If that's something that they're interested in too. You know, we've heard a lot about the detectives talking about we're interested in everything, but but Fatten's also a people person. She's good with people. And so I feel like she's kind of sussing it out with them to some extent. I think she's trying to analyze like to what degree they're focused on Leah. Hmm. And to what degree like Leah's paranoia about this matters. Because if you think about like the overall investigation, like what does it matter if one of the girls thinks that something's wrong unless it's connected to an event or connected to a grander scheme. I just want to touch on one more thing that happened sort of earlier. Gretchen has a quote and she says, if you give up some fights, you're left with more strength to take on others. And I can't help but connect that with Leah and her forgiveness of Fatten and Rachel. What does this say about that overall? And how does her letting go of those grudges, letting go of those arguments, open her sort of brain capacity up to think more broadly about what is going on there? You know, the finding of Jeanette's missing body. Does setting aside those kind of arguments give her more strength to sort of take down Gretchen to understand the overall intricacies of what's going on in that work? Leah is so important in this because she's the only one out there questioning. When other people start to question, it's because Leah brought them in. She's dangerous in a way that we kind of heard Fatten described it this way. But her danger isn't to the girls. Like her danger is to the overall operation that Gretchen is running. I'm interested to see if Gretchen views her as a threat or if she views her as an outcome. Or if she views her as a planned threat. So if the intention is for them to figure out that there's something wrong. Is she looking at Leah as like, she's the the pin that's going to start all that movement? Totally, yeah. And I guess that probably really hinges on to what extent Gretchen really knows these women. And it also probably, it's being compared to whatever her theory is as well, I'm sure. Because I think, you know, we talked about, you know, the dive wouldn't have happened if Rachel wasn't one of the, one of the women on the island. And I think this paranoia, this like, desire to figure out an overall scheme wouldn't happen without Leah there. Mm. They're both very uniquely situated to fit those roles and both are very necessary in in different but very important ways. I have theories about all of them, but it's too early to talk about some of them without spoiling it for people. So we'll save it to the theories episode. Yeah, we'll save it save it to the end, but I've I've been 
paying attention, especially when we've been going through with our notes, just to some of the roles that they take on and, and the necessity of certain roles and, and the necessity of certain roles that can only be filled by certain people. So I think keep an eye on it too, because I think it's really important. And send us your thoughts too. If you think you know something, send it our way. We'd love to love to hear from you. So I think finally, we can talk just a little bit about our overall thoughts and feelings of this episode. As we touched on earlier, Fatten is one of both of our favorite characters. So for me, this was such a joy to watch. I think the storytelling was really different in this one and, and in a really good way. I've loved all the ways that stories are told. But if we think about, you know, episode one with Leah's, everything was so fragmented across scenes. But for Fatten's episode, there was just a better flow in the way that we moved through portions of the story and we moved through the things that were happening, which I really enjoyed. I mean, it made my note taking a lot easier, but I think there's just a cohesion to Fatten's story more than there had been previously. And I, and I found it really refreshing and, and really focused as we were looking at who she was as a human being. And I, and I can't help but like think a little bit more broadly about it being like, it felt a little bit more like a piece of music, like connected and like bringing in some of those elements and those pieces where everything really worked together in a way. The one sad thing is, is we don't actually see Fatten on the island that much this episode, but I think there's such like a strong redeeming moment for her and I think also it just plays into more of the group dynamics. I also was just so excited to see them together for so much of today. We don't get that very often. We're always dividing and breaking and and all of these things. So having everyone together through that quest, that hunt in the woods was really important to me, as well as just being able to round out Fatten as a, as a person. It's, it's so important for all the scenes that we're going to see of her in the future on this island. Something that I've been thinking a lot about in terms of Fatten is her sense of humor. You know, where does that come from? And we do see her parents joking around a little bit in that earlier scene in terms of they say, and she's going to talk about her nails in three, two, one. And they do kind of rib her a little bit, but there's there's still some mystery to Fatten that I don't quite think fits with the narrative in terms of like some of those really defining elements of her personality. And so that's something I'm hoping that we're able to explore as the season goes on and hopefully in season two as well. She's definitely the first character we've seen where I've had more questions about her after. Like the backstory has opened more questions up for me. And I just want to like shout out Sophia for doing such a phenomenal job of just bringing that into life because she is such a rich character who can, you know, in one moment be making sure someone doesn't fall apart to the next moment being like the center of like jokes to being she's just such a vibrant character and such a full character and I think like the way that she navigates through the group sometimes she fills so many different roles in a way she's like a jack of all trades around that and she can lead she can support she can bring humor she can do all these things and also her and Dot are just the best and I think Dot would be sad without that in there. I think, you know, Sophia Ali has some prior chops. You know, she did a, a quite a big stand on Grey's Anatomy where she played uh, a Muslim character who wore a hijab. And so she's no kind of stranger to like combining kind of directors and writers view her character and just like flawlessly executing. You know, her Grey's Anatomy stand got a fair bit of coverage. And more than that too, also a queer icon because she played uh, a short stint on MTV's unfortunate show that ended way too soon faking it. Mm -hmm. So I think that takes us into quote of the week. Are you ready, Rachel? I'm ready. I have my quote of the week. Okay. Would you like to go first? Sure. My quote of the week is about Fatten, but is said by Leah. And it's just when they're about to formally embark on the quest or hike for Fatten. 
And Leah says, we'll probably hear her whining before we see her. Keep an ear out for somebody bitching about their flat hair. I love it for so many reasons. Number one, it's Leah's sass amidst um, some panic. It also says a lot about like their relationship in terms of what they knew about each other before the island, but also that like deep care that's really starting to become nourished and cultivated. And it also primes the line for Dot to say, we might be simplifying this a little bit. I don't know if you saw, but her hands are like calloused as fuck and she doesn't do anything half-assed. And so I love the way that it fits in the dialogue. I love that it's lighthearted, but I also love that it contributes to such a deeper storyline. It's great. So your line is said by Leah about Fatten. My line is said by Fatten to Leah. Cute. Dun, dun, dun. So my favorite quote of the week is, if I wasn't so personally victimized, I would have been impressed. Love that. I know. It was great. It was just like such respect, you know, like Fatten's like, you know, the things that you said to me, super messed up. However, I got mad respect because you had some sass. All right. So moving into our final segment, this is Deserted Island Partner, where we answer the age old question, who would you want to end up with you on a deserted island? Our criteria, who kept everyone alive? Who kept everyone sane? Who was the episode's MVP? And who best embodied Destiny's Child Survivor? Are you ready, Rachel? Yeah. Three, two, one. Three, two, one, go. All right. Three, two, one. One Fatten. Yeah. Fatten was like a like a hands down winner for me. I, she found the water. Yeah, fresh water is like if we're thinking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that's like foundational. Also, she was just like when they found her, even though they all attacked her, she was just a joy to be around. She was a part of that like making up with Leah. She came back with so much like heart from being separate from them. I actually thought you were going to say Leah because she led a lot of the action this episode, but I just don't know how we can't give it to Fatten. Totally. And I think, you know, like also just like some of the smaller moments in terms of like her giving the watch to Martha and her consoling Leah on the beach, you know, like she did big and small things this week. She has to be the partner of the week. Plus she remembered how to mark her trail. Like she just, she was, we didn't see her a lot, but she was out there doing real good shit. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening and for joining us for this episode. We just wanted to throw out a friendly reminder. If you can rate and review us, that would be great. Also our social media and email is in the episode description. So feel free to reach out chat with us we'd love to talk through theories and any of those pieces but it's been a pleasure talking about fatten today with you and so this week stay safe we'll see you when the next episode goes up on thursday and other than that you fall in the sinkhole you need a martha